Morning Huddle with David Hurlbut on Mile High Sports. And good morning, Denver, Colorado. Welcome to the Morning Huddle. AZ in for David this morning, and when I hear that music, I feel like I need to put on some aviators, a leather jacket, get on a motorcycle, and just take off. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be here with you guys this morning doing radio. We're going to be joined by Michael Spencer of CBS4 Sports in segments two and three today. Always excited to talk to Michael, about what's going on with the Broncos, and and it's October, so it's also start. It's also time to start talking about the Denver Nuggets as their season is going to kick off before we know it. But let's start with the fact that it's only taken me 161 games, but I'm now into baseball. So does that make me much of a fair weather fan? Yeah, thank. Um, of course, living in Denver it would stand a reason that baseball might not be necessarily the first thing on the brain of those of us living here. But the fact of the matter is you have to take your hat off to Aaron judge, uh, obviously breaking Roger Maris's American league record of 61 home runs. Uh, the, the numerical uh, synergy on all of this is, is pretty astounding when you consider that the record of 61 home runs by Maris was set in 1961 and it would be, 61 years later in game number 161 that Aaron judge would hit his 62nd and it really couldn't happen to a better guy. And as a result, I think this is, this is really, really good for baseball. And this is something that as opposed to what happened with the Mark McGuire's Sammy Sosa home run chase in 98. And then, and then later on when, when Barry Bonds would hit 73, I think this one is going to withstand the test of time in the history books as having been a really great moment for the sport, considering what kind of guy Aaron Judge is. Now, when you think about this guy breaking this record, all kinds of different discussions are going to be brought up. Two of the ones that come to mind for me are, what is the comp on this record? Meaning, what other sports record would you compare this to? Um, Kobe's 81 points, which comes up short of Wilt's 100, which Aaron Judge's 62 home runs comes up short of Bonds' 73. But what is the, 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 the era of the sports, you know, um, how, how does that factor into, you know, the decision about what the comparison is? In terms of Kobe's 81, that's one game. This is a season record, so I don't think that's a great comp. I think more Manning's 55 touchdowns and 5,500-yard season come into play because it's it's a great guy doing something great for the league, and it's something that everybody in the sports world can root for. I got to believe that there are Boston Red Sox fans this morning that are smiling at watching Aaron Judge do what he has done because of who Aaron Judge is and what he represents. He's one of the good guys in sports. He does, he does it with such humility and such grace and such respect for the sport and such respect for his teammates and such respect for the organization and such respect for the league and the fans and everybody. And you never hear Aaron Judge say anything. You never hear about him doing anything that makes you shake your head 
and want to in any way, shape or form, no pun intended, but you don't want to judge this guy. You really want to root for this guy. And so now here we are. The table is now set. I mean, what a night last night in Major League Baseball. Obviously, Judge doing what he did. The Braves doing what they did. They only led the National League East for five games all year long. And now they have clinched that division for the fifth straight time. And the defending champs are back. They've won north of 100 games. They give the Los Angeles Dodgers a legitimate threat to potentially get back to the World Series. I don't think you can write the Mets off. I'm sure that they're pretty disappointed that they didn't win that division. But the table is set for a hell of a playoff run. What about the Strohs last night? What about what, what about Verlander? I mean, this guy is, is like a fine wine. He's getting better with age, and he's, what, 39, 40 years of age. And Justin Verlander is throwing five perfect innings last night. Uh, it's the it's the third time this year I think he's been pulled in the midst of either a no hitter or a perfect game, which is you can say what you want about that, but the fact of the matter is is that he is going into these playoffs as as an ace if there ever was one, and a healthy one at that. And at that guy's age, I think that the the Astros have played that thing the right way by not putting him in position to be compromised in any way. And if you look at that, that murderer's row of pitchers that the Houston Astros have and what's going on with the amount of juice that the Yankees have created with their murderer's row of, 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 of bats, this is really shaping up to be some baseball playoff run. And again, it only took me 161 games to get there. But the fact of the matter is that you can't not be a sport you can't be a sports fan and not be excited about what's going on in, in the majors right now um then there's football and then there's the broncos and we will talk a lot about that with michael spencer obviously we talked about it on monday with Romy bean javante williams out for the year jonathan taylor we thought was going to miss the game and he still might but we don't know for sure. But the, the, the prognosis on Taylor is that if he misses a game, it's only going to be one because if he's questionable for this week and might play for this week and then Indy doesn't go again for another 10 days after that, you've got to believe that he's going to be fine. I hope that they're careful with him and that they hold him out of this week's game because I would hate to think that the playing field would be tilted in the direction of Indianapolis because of having to give the check mark to the Colts with the running game. Uh, I love the fact that the Broncos went out and made uh, a very savvy play in signing Latavius Murray as they did off of the New Orleans Saints practice squad because they, the Saints had elevated him to active for that game against uh, Minnesota in London on Sunday. That being said, I have no idea how the guy looked. I did not get up that early. I paid attention to it on my phone because I had some fantasy concerns and it was nice to see Justin Jefferson come out of his funk the way he did and have the game he did. And as far as I was concerned, uh, after putting up just four points the week before that, but Latavius Murray, I did not get an opportunity to, to see what he did. I know Andy Dalton played well in for Jameis Winston, but here's a guy that has had lots of NFL experience. He runs North and South. He gives you a little bit of depth in the backfield and where you kind of thought all might be lost as far as the running game was concerned after what we saw 
on Sunday with Melvin Gordon's fumble, you know, Mike Boone's drop at the end of that game, uh, where he could have, it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to matter. It wasn't going to give the Broncos the win, but it would have given them at least an opportunity to come down and score at the end and maybe create a little bit of offensive momentum, but that was not to be. So bringing in Latavius Murray gives you at least a healthy veteran to run alongside Melvin Gordon. That being said, I hope Melvin Gordon is the starter. I know he's fumbled four times. I know he fumbled crossing the goal line against Seattle. I know that cost us the game against Seattle. I know he fumbled against the Raiders, and it resulted in a a pick six of sorts, if you will, scoop and score, whatever that's termed as. It was a defensive score for the Raiders that turned that game on its ear, and it it, it, it effectively cost Denver the game, and they should be 3-1 and one right now if not for that play. That being said, I like Melvin Gordon. I like him as a guy. I like him as a back. He was running hard. He needs to get his confidence back. If he does, if he takes a deep breath, we talked about it on Monday, looks in the mirror and says, okay, it's game on now, man. It's, this is on me. I can't, I can't mope about this. The team can't mope about this. We can't, we can't, we can't doghouse Melvin Gordon right now. The team does not have the luxury of doing that. We've got to get behind this guy. The fans need to come into that stadium tomorrow night. And when Melvin Gordon gets his name called and he runs out on the field, they need to, he needs to feel the love. It starts right there. If he feels the love running into that stadium, I think he can turn this thing around. The Broncos very badly need him to do that. We'll talk about that and a lot more with Michael Spencer from Channel 4 Sports when we come back. You're listening to The Morning Huddle, AZ, Andy Zoden in for David. We're listening to Mile High Sports Radio. Michael Spencer joins me right after this. The Morning Huddle with David Hurlbut on Mile High Sports. And welcome back, everybody. Morning Huddle, Mile High Sports Radio, AZN for David. And as promised, I am now joined by CBS 4 Sports' Michael Spencer. Michael, good morning. How are you? AZ, what's going on, man? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, what's going on right now, I'm not going to lie to you, I'm on the other screen on my computer trying to figure out whether or not I give Jonathan Taylor the start on my fantasy team, and I'm starting to think maybe not, and I think there are probably a lot of people out there that could use some inside information from a guy like yourself. What do you know about that? Well, I think this, I think this running game is going to be uh, – the run defense is going to be better, first of all, for the Broncos. And so I would have a hard time starting Jonathan Taylor. Um, obviously, when you look at what Josh Jacobs did and how he Oof. just turns into an all-world running back every time that he faces the Broncos – uh, that that would lean you in that direction, but on a short week, I don't know that I would go Taylor against the defense that is upset at their performance on Sunday in Vegas and feels like that was not their uh, their best effort, certainly, and not who they want to be. And I think that they are going to make the changes um, to to rectify that moving forward. And you know what's crazy is uh, I saw a stat yesterday. I think I actually retweeted it. We talk about the Broncos' offense and how they've had trouble scoring points. The Colts' offense has been even worse. And so um, so all things to consider as you head into Thursday night's game, uh, I would probably leave Jonathan Taylor on the sideline for this week. Well, that would mean that you've got the luxury to do that because I think most people, if Jonathan Taylor is healthy and he's on their roster, you almost have no choice but to start him. But the question is, 
is he even playing? I guess is my question. Do you know for sure that he's even going to get the start? Because he hadn't practiced yet this week. Yeah, and that leads me to believe that he probably, I mean, the fact that he had a boot on yesterday is not a good sign. Right. And now he's got to fly here to Denver. Um, so I, I think the, that everybody is kind of leaning toward no in that regard. Okay. Um, okay. But, but we, we have not heard officially one way or the other as to whether or not he'll be available Thursday. Javante Williams out for the year, uh, you know, devastating, obviously, for on a lot of levels, but it's not the kind of thing where you have a whole lot of time to, uh, to cry in your beer over it because here you go, you know, a couple days later, you're back on the field. I felt like that was a pretty shrewd move of George Payton to be able to scoop up Latavius Murray like that. What do we look for with regard to the dynamic of responsibilities with regard to Melvin Gordon, who's got to be almost at an all-time low with regard to confidence right now, Mike Boone, whose drop at the end of the Raider game probably didn't help his confidence either, and now Latavius Murray, a well-traveled veteran coming in. uh, Out of those three, what do we expect there? Yeah, I think that it'll be really interesting kind of moving forward. What I'm hearing from people who are not going on the record is that it's unlikely that Latavius will play on Thursday. Now, on the record, they're saying, oh, yeah, there's a possibility, there's a chance, and Latavius said that himself yesterday. But consider what this guy has been through. He played a game Sunday in London, flew back, landed Monday night, or excuse me, Monday morning at 2 a.m., and then – Got a call from Denver, said, hey, do you want to join the Broncos? Had to think about it for a little bit and then decided, yeah, okay, I do. Flew to Denver Monday night, landed late Monday night, and then was at practice on Tuesday. And now he's got to try and learn the game plan and figure out exactly what's going on for a Thursday game. Keep in mind, the NFL usually gives teams buys after they play in London so the guys' bodies can get back right after all the travel that, that goes into that. So, um, I mean, he said yesterday, hey, look, anything's a possibility. But I think that would be a really, really tough ask, and I, I think it would certainly be unfair to ask him to come in and be your main back. So I think Melvin Gordon is going to be running back number one on Thursday. That's that's the plan, and um, I think that that actually might be beneficial for Melvin. I think that there is some things mentally that he's obviously going through with the fumbles. I think that maybe getting him the ball right away uh, can be beneficial. He's a guy who has talked about ever since he got here how it's difficult for him to get into a rhythm and kind of feel the game when he's coming off the sideline. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not going to fumble the ball, um, but it certainly means that maybe he feels like he needs four or five runs maybe to finally get going, which is kind of crazy when you think about it, um, but but that's what he says, and that's, that's what we hear from him. So uh, I think that Latavius Murray was a long-term signing and is something that you should watch for as the rest of the season goes on and maybe he and Melvin get to splitting carries kind of 50, 50, like he and Javante were last year. Um, but I think that that's more of a long-term deal than it is heading into Thursday, uh, expecting him to carry a bunch of the load, I think would be unrealistic. I watched uh, a really good interview that you did with Melvin Gordon when you had him on with you at the view house a couple of weeks back. And I was real impressed with just his, his, his positive demeanor and his, veteran view of things with regard to taking taking the bad with the good and understanding all of the ups and downs of the NFL season is that exactly the kind of guy that you need to have in the position that he's in right now because theoretically if if Javante was healthy and running well after what we've seen from from Melvin Gordon we've seen guys relegated to the doghouse for 
pretty long periods of time for less than what some of the transgressions are that we've seen from Melvin Gordon. And now, as opposed to being put in the doghouse, he's being put up front and center as your feature guy. Based on what you learned from him in his presence that night, the way you were, do you feel like he's got what it takes mentally to be able to shake this off and understand what the task at hand is and be able to execute? I, I'm questioning it a little bit, Andy, if, I, if really? I'm being honest. So yeah, wow. yeah, and it's okay. not necessarily a Melvin thing, but seeing him after the game um, was, was really telling. And there was a moment in the locker room where there's kind of this weird area where you leave the locker room and you turn right to go into the visiting post-game press conference room. And Melvin mm-hmm. was coming back from his press conference. And Russell Wilson stopped him and put his arms on his shoulders. And those two guys stood there for several minutes. And Russell did most of the talking. Um, and it was just trying to pick Melvin up. But Melvin was, I don't want to say he was distraught, but he was, he was emotional. And, and fighting back tears like we saw when, when he walked off the podium. Um, and, and to me, that was real. So I think that Melvin has the capability to shrug that off. However, when you go back and look at past interviews that he's done, and the one that's circulating right now is the one that he did with Taylor Lewan a while back where he's talking about, you know, I knew going into that, that game in that moment that, man, I'm going to fumble this ball right here. Like, wow. I, I, think you, I think you have to wonder what is going on in Melvin Gordon's head. Now, I, like I said, I do think it'll benefit him to be running back one and to know that the team needs him to carry the load on Thursday night, but I don't know that I'm sold that Melvin Gordon is completely right moving forward based on what we saw Sunday, how he reacted to that fumble, the fact that it's now five fumbles in five games, and Andy, every single one of these fumbles has played a huge, huge role. Oh. I looked up the stat. I looked up the stat the other day, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try and recite it off the top of my head. But he's had nine fumbles in 35 games with the Broncos, and the Broncos are two and six in those games when he has fumbled, right? He had one fumble, one game where he fumbled twice. And, and these, I'm just talking about lost fumbles here. Sure. And then you factor in that three of those in the last 11 games have been taken back for touch, touchdowns. These are huge momentum-shifting plays, and I can't help but wonder if that is starting to wear on him mentally. And that being the case, and, and Russell knowing this, and Nathaniel Hackett knowing this, is this now a situation where the game plan is going to have to adjust I was I was kind of yelling at the TV on Sunday when I felt like the Broncos were getting away from throwing those those slants to Cortland Sutton on first down and and getting ahead of the chains and doing some of the things that took the pressure off of the running game and it looked like it was working because then they were establishing actually you know one of the best runs I've seen from Melvin Gordon in a while was the one he fumbled on I mean up until that point that was a good looking run up the gut, you know, right between yeah. the tackles for what was going to be about an eight or nine yard run. And, but, you know, put you into a second and short at a time in the game where if you go down there and you get a score, you take the lead in the first half. I think it's a very different game. Uh, but now, you know, we've seen things transpire as they have. What do the Broncos do to adjust just from a game plan perspective? Is this a matter of, as opposed to putting the Javante Williams injury more on Melvin Gordon, are we going to, obviously have to put more responsibility on, on Russell Wilson's shoulders. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think so, and I'm with you. I didn't understand in the second half why they went away from what was working. And, you know, they come out, they get Coyle on the quick slant to start the game. Russell right. was 11-12 in the first half for, I think, 149 yards and two touchdowns. 
And then they come out, and their first couple drives, they start to try and pound the ball uh, with the run game. And it's like, what What are we doing here? Why Why are we doing this? Because their first couple drives were absolutely terrible. Um, they went five plays on their first drive and three and out, three and out, three and out. And so, um, to me, I think that you do need to put a little bit more on Russell Wilson's shoulders on Thursday night. And I think that um, – your offensive line has to be better because they were not running the football well. You mentioned Melvin's good run, yes, prior prior to his fumble. Mike Boone had a nice one. But they didn't even rush for 100 yards on, on nope. Sunday in Vegas. It was their lowest rushing output of the season, and that cannot be the case. So I think this offensive line is almost getting a pass right now because everybody's looking at Melvin, because everybody's looking at Russ. But the offensive line is not doing either one of those guys any favors in terms of the ground game and their inability to run the ball effectively, and then in terms of the time that they are giving Russell Wilson. So if I'm this Broncos coaching staff, I've got to look at that and say, okay, we need some quick hitters. We need to get the ball out of Russ's hands quickly, maybe soften up that defense a little bit, and then we can focus on the running game and getting it going, which is then going to open the deep balls like we saw um, to K.J. Hamler, and hopefully you get a few more of those uh, coming up on, on Thursday night against the Colts. Well, and to your point, Russell Wilson actually led the team in rushing with a, with a meager 29 yards, as I recall. And not only that, but every time they tried to establish a run early and it would evolve into a passing situation, I had to tell my wife, I can't watch because I know what Max Crosby is about to do. Just tell me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, because if you think that Josh Jacobs is licking his chops on the offensive side of the ball, we made him look like Earl Campbell. I felt like, you know, Howie Long was on the field. Uh, that day as well in the form of Max Crosby. So both sides of the field had guys that uh, that conjured up memories of, of, of greats of old. Michael, when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this game tomorrow night, but I also think it's time to start uh, looking a little bit forward to this Nugget season and, and what you've got for us there. So if you can stick around for one more segment, I'd certainly appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Two weeks from tonight, the Nuggets start. Isn't that crazy? One week from tonight, that the is... Avs start. So it's like everybody's focused on Broncos, wow. and all of a sudden – the two other teams are going to start getting going here in just a second. Of course, the Rockies uh, have their have their final game of the season, mercifully, today uh, in L.A. But, yeah, absolutely, I'll hang around. No problem. Much appreciated. You're listening to The Morning Huddle, AZ and Michael Spencer on Mile High Sports Radio. More with Michael right after this. Yeah, humor me and tell me lies. And I'll like I don't mind. As we seek so shallow. The Morning Huddle with David Hurlbutt on Mile High Sports. Welcome back, everybody. Making the turn here at the bottom of the hour. AZ, Andy Zoden, in for David, joined by CBS 4 Sports' Michael Spencer. And I think we've determined that if the Broncos can establish, establish a little confidence with Melvin Gordon, put a little bit more responsibility on Russell Wilson, be all over Matt Ryan, and hopefully Jonathan Taylor doesn't play, we should be fine. Um, Michael, <laughs> right? I mean, it's that simple, just, isn't it? It's a short know? list. Yeah, just one or two things. Right. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, no big deal. Let's just get all those things established, and we'll be absolutely right back where we want to be, um, back on back on track to get to the Super Bowl. Don't worry about the Chiefs. Um, that being said, uh, extremely tongue-in-cheek, let's turn our uh, attention to the NBA and the NHL because, as you just said, two, we're just two weeks away 
from the Nuggets season. And obviously the Avs will be defending their title, but let's start with the Nuggets because they're still on the climb back to where they were when they made it to the Western Conference final. And hopefully we're looking at the return and the resurgence of MPJ and Jamal Murray. Where does all that stand at this point? Well, they looked pretty good, you know, and I know it's only a preseason game, but it sure was nice to see those guys back and healthy. And the way Porter Jr.'s moving, like you're, you're just thinking, man, that guy is so good offensively. He can score at will. He is so smooth. He's got some real serious strides that he needs to make on the defensive side of the ball. Um, but he looked, he looked good. And then Jamal, you know, 539 days uh, in between game action. And what, what I loved, Andy, was – at the end of the second quarter, he beats the buzzer, kisses it off the glass, and then you could see him mouth, that's what I do. And he, he was asked right. about it in the post-game press conference. And he said, yeah, that's, that's what I do. You know, like to be back in that mentally, he looks like a guy who wasn't thinking about his knee injury, who wasn't focused on, on that. He was just focused on being back in the zone. I think it's going to take a couple games, you know, into the regular season for him to really kind of hit his stride. Um, but when, when those guys are healthy, and then obviously you factor in the back-to-back MVP and Nikola Jokic, when all three of those guys are healthy, the sky's the limit for this team. And I think that the additions that they have made to really help them defensively with Kentavious Caldwell-Pope and Bruce Brown, I think those are going to be some really, really nice additions because that, I think, is the one area where you worry about this team is can they keep up defensively and, and can they shut other teams down? And obviously that's priority number one for Michael Malone and, and nobody loves defense in the NBA more than he does. I make that joke all the time because, you know, they'll put up 120 and win 120 to, to 105 and it'll look like a dominating game and he'll be mad about whatever they did defensively um, that, that it wasn't enough. So that's the area of concern for me with this team, but I think they're going to be much better there. Uh, than they have been in the past. And I think that they are setting themselves up to be one of the best teams in not only the Western Conference, but in the entire association. And you talk about the way Malone's going to coach this team with Aaron Gordon. You talk about the defensive side of the ball. If his primary responsibility is back to being, you know, crashing the glass and I mean, he can, he can defend a variety of positions. It seemed like there was a lot more pressure on him to create offense, which seemed pretty unnatural particularly with the outside shot. And if you've got MPJ and Jamal Murray back, that certainly uh, puts him in a position to be able to do what he does best. So, yeah, I agree with you. If, if, you can, if you can clamp down on some of these guys in the Western Conference, and certainly it's nice not to have to deal with Donovan Mitchell anymore in the Western Conference, but uh, where going into the season do people have, have the Nuggets kind of in that 4-5-6 spot? Is that sort of where they're projected, or is that even a bit optimistic? I think it should be a little bit higher, to be honest. I think okay. you're, I think you're looking at I think you're looking at three, four, five, and and maybe if okay. they have a really good year, and depending upon how they manage those injuries, they could sneak up and and be one or two. I mean, I think that that's I think that's realistic. I think for this team, realistic expectations should be getting to the second round and maybe even the Western Conference Finals. Um, and so I think that they're going to obviously. I don't know if they're going to come out and say this, but they're going to want to be careful with Jamal. They're going to want to be careful, certainly, with Michael Porter Jr. Um, but I think anything other than a home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs is probably going to be disappointing uh, for this team. Talk about the backcourt, Michael, because I know there was a lot of turnover, and my apologies that I, I know that Will Barton's gone. 
and I believe Monte Morris as well. Yep. Where yep. are we with Austin Rivers and the depth in the backcourt? What should we see there with regard to uh, who's going to be handling the ball besides Jamal Murray, obviously? Yeah, that's a good that's a good question too, and I think we'll kind of you know work that out as the season goes on. Obviously, Ish Smith's going to play a factor in that. Um, who they got in, in some of those moves. Um, ah. And so I think that's that's going to be an, an issue for bones. them. Um, yeah, I think you're going to see Bones, too, because what what you've seen from Bones so far, it was interesting, that preseason game the other night, he wasn't great. Um, actually kind of got benched by Michael Malone, and, and Malone wasn't wow. pleased with what he saw. But from what we heard from people who were down in uh, San Diego at their – training camp was that bones was actually playing pretty well and that in one of the scrimmages he absolutely dominated so i i don't know what you're going to get from bones this year and i think that's a big question mark for them too does he have a second year regression does he take a step back in his sophomore season um i don't know that that's the case but i also don't know that you can necessarily expect him to be as good as he was um in his in his rookie year primarily because the ball is going to be out of his hands a little bit more and and he's not going to be asked to do so much i think he played like 19 minutes a game in his in his rookie year so um i'll be interested to see kind of how that flushes out with jamal now back in the lineup and with mpj back in the lineup i think that the other guy to watch too is zeke nazi and everybody's been really high on him and what he's been able to do he played pretty well the other night in their preseason game i think he's going to be a guy who the Nuggets feel like can take a big step forward um, this year. And then to your point about Aaron Gordon, Aaron Gordon is a much better fourth option offensively than he is right. a second or third option offensively. And yeah. I think that that is going to help him. Um, I think that's going to help him tremendously on that side of the ball. And then it's going to help him focus on what he primarily was brought here to do, which is play some defense. Um, and so I think that is going to be an area where they are going to be much better. Uh, moving forward because he won't have the offensive responsibility uh, that he was forced into last year because of all those injuries. Well, and you mentioned KCP with regard to defense, and I remember during that championship run in the bubble where, of course, Jamal Murray went absolutely crazy, but I remember I remember KCP blowing up threes for the Lakers on yep. a pretty regular basis, so he's a guy that may be primarily a defender, but if he gets it going from the outside, he seems to have kind of a for lack of a better description, and I'm going to date myself here, but a little bit of a Robert Ory type quality about his game. Yeah, I don't know that he's quite to Robert Ory's level in terms of shooting, but I see where you're going there. And he's one of those guys where you can stick him in the corner and maybe he gets lost because teams are focused on Jokic and focused on Murray and focused on Porter Jr. And then all of a sudden Jokic gets the ball in the post and finds a wide open KCP and he's burying a three. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely something that can help them, too, because that was an area where they really struggled last year, um, especially when, when those guys were out, was the three-point shooting was not necessarily what you wanted it to be. A topsy-turvy offseason to some extent because the Avs had so much on their plate with regard to signing their own free agents. Obviously, they weren't able to keep everybody. Obviously, championship teams rarely do, but let's kind of – digest what that offseason looked like and as a result what kind of optimism should avalanche fans have with regard to this this defense of this title yeah the bottom line is you kept your core guys with the exception of Nazem Kadri, right I mean and that is something that's really great I think that Darcy Kemper leaving is not something that they're crying over um there were a lot of guys who were quietly frustrated about 
temper and his inability uh, to stop pucks in the playoffs. And so I think they're okay with that. I think Burakovsky obviously is a guy who, who Avs fans know and has come to love. And um, I think that they'll miss him a little bit too. But then you look at what they did and the additions that they made, not only keeping their own guys, but going out and adding a guy like Eric Rodriguez. I think that they feel really comfortable um, with, with what they have. Now, uh, Alexander Georgiev wasn't great. Um, a couple games ago, I think that was a game in Dallas where he gave up like six goals in two periods, and he wasn't playing with top-line defenders, but you would still expect more out of the guy who they anticipate being their number one goalie heading into the season. So I think that they feel like, hey, look, we kept all of our core guys, and not only are we set up to make another run this year, but we're set up to make another run probably for the next four to five years. I mean, you look at Miko Rantanen is the one guy whose contract comes up early, if you will. Um, but everybody else is kind of locked down for the next six, seven, eight years. And so I think they feel really good about where they are, not only entering this year, uh, but entering next season and, and the seasons beyond as well. And then keep in mind, uh, I know that Chris McFarland now takes over as GM, but Joe Sackick obviously still has a hand in everything that this franchise does. And Chris had the opportunity to learn from Joe. And if there's an opportunity for them to go make a trade at the trade deadline, they'll go make it. Um, and I think that they feel comfortable doing that. Um, and so I think that they're going to be they're going to be in contention for a Stanley Cup championship, not only ne- next year as as hopefully back to back titles, uh, but certainly for the coming years. I, I would say four or five, no doubt, is kind of where their window is right now, based on how many guys they have under contract and how young those guys are. So based on what you're saying, is it is it fair to make the comp of Joe Sackick as now sort of the John Elway of the Avs? Are, are their roles pretty similar with those two respective teams? Yeah, yeah, they really are. And I, I don't know that John um, is as hands-on this year. Well, I can tell you John's not as hands-on this year. Um, and, and even really kind of dating back to the, toward the end of last year. Um, but, but they are in similar roles. I think Joe probably has a little bit more say. Uh, with the Avalanche, considering that Chris was a guy who worked under him, and and George Payton was a guy who the Broncos brought in, who has proven that he can handle his own. Um, but but they are in similar kind of advisory roles, if you will. Um, but I think Joe's a little bit more hands on at this point than than John is. Got it. On Monday, Michael. Before I let you go, I asked uh, I asked Romy to sort of come out of retirement and 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 kind of get her get her cheerleader on a little bit and ask us what we should be optimistic about with regard to Thursday night's game. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing, but with the rest of the season. What what is it that the Broncos can can do? And it sounds to me like I know what you're going to say. It's going to be offensive line related. But what is it that this team needs to do to be able to keep pace? You're not keeping pace with the Chiefs. Not if, not if Patrick Mahomes is going to go out and be the freak show that he was on Sunday night, but you might be able to keep pace with the other two teams and with that that second tier of the AFC if everything goes right. What does it have to look like? Yeah, to me, I think it starts with the offensive line and getting Quinn Miners back, and, and what are we going to get from Billy Turner? And they just they still don't know, and he's a guy who they anticipated being back by now or they would have put him on IR. And so I think there's some issues there moving forward. And what do they do at that right tackle spot? The optimistic part, Andy, is that they continue to say that, hey, look, we're, we're getting close offensively. And I think that you could argue, and, and I'm trying not to put on too many, you know, orange and blue colored glasses here, but 
you could argue that we saw some offensive progress, not necessarily in the running game, but in the passing game and in the deep balls and in that one that K.J. Hamler caught. And so um, it, they put up a season high in points for crying out loud. Granted, that Raiders defense is not great, but that is progress. And you're starting to see some little things there. Now, if they go back and, and have a regression on Thursday night, then you're going to say, okay, well, that was just a kind of a fluke against the Raiders because their defense is bad. But I think you could make the argument – that you're starting to see a little bit of progress. It's certainly slower than I think that everybody wanted, uh, probably even the Broncos themselves. But I think you're starting to see a little bit there. Now the question is, can they continue that uh, moving into, obviously, this Thursday's game and the next Monday night against the Chargers? And can they continue to make progress and continue to feel like they are doing some good things offensively? Um, That, to me, is going to be the big issue. I think the defense is going to be fine. Um, I think that obviously the loss of Randy Gregory is going to be a big one. And I think that's part of the reason why Bradley Chubb has had such a great start to the year is because he has had Gregory on the other side. Now it's incumbent upon Nick Benito and Baron Browning to kind of pick up the slack. And Nick Benito is a guy who has not been able to do that through the first four games of his NFL career. So he's got a lot on his plate. Um, I think that's an, another area of concern that we didn't touch on um, that I think will will kind of dictate how this defense goes and how how really how dominant they can be uh, moving forward here on the back end back end of the season. Three step drop, quick hitters on first down. Please let's get back to that. He is Michael Spencer, CBS Four Sports. Michael, thank you so much. I always enjoy these conversations, and uh, you're always so gracious with your time. So thanks again today. We appreciate it. This was a blast, man. I appreciate you having me on. Love listening to you when I get the chance, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much. He is Michael Spencer from CBS 4 Sports. When we come back, the final segment, I'll take a look at a couple of the really marquee games on Sunday and tell you if I think there's a little money to be made out there. You're listening to the Morning Huddle on Mile High Sports Radio. AZ in for David. Thank you, Michael Spencer, and we'll be right back after this. The Morning Huddle with David Hurlbutt on Mile High Sports. Welcome back, everybody. AZ, Andy Zoden, in for David. Thank you, Michael Spencer. Uh, great stuff from him regarding the Broncos, regarding the Avs, regarding the Nuggets. All great stuff. You can see Michael every night on CBS for Sports. All right, quick lightning round. We'll hold off on picking the Bronco game. I'm going to go real quickly. Every game against the spread. Here we go. Uh, the Sunday morning game uh, at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium in London has the Packers minus eight against the Giants. We'll lay the points there. Not sure the Giants even have a quarterback on the roster yet for that game. They're talking about going 60 minutes with Saquon Barkley running the Wildcat at this point. I like the Packers, even though the Giants are three and one and eight's a lot of points. Aaron Rodgers going to London is like a reverse British invasion. As opposed to the Beatles coming to America, Aaron Rodgers is going to London. He'll put on a show. Buccaneers on Sunday, uh, minus eight and a half coming off of that drubbing. They're going against the Falcons, and the Falcons are playing well right now. They're feeling the uh, the momentum and the confidence, and I think eight and a half is a lot of points. They're playing good on defense. They're doing what they need to do on offense. I'll take the Falcons plus the points. Brady will get the win. The Atlanta betters will get the win. 
Vikings minus seven against the Bears. The Bears are just absolutely hapless right now. The Vikings have come back in impressive, impressive fashion within the last 30 seconds of the game, last minute of the game at least, the last two weeks. I think they'll jump out on the Bears pretty good. They got that passing game going. Justin Jefferson went crazy. Dalvin Cook's healthy. I like the Vikes at home against the Bears. The Patriots minus three against the Lions at Gillette Stadium. Patriots with a third-string quarterback. That was real cute in Green Bay, and they almost pulled that off. The Lions are playing great offense right now. If they can play any defense whatsoever, I have a feeling they might pull this one off with Jared Goff and that offense putting up a lot of points. All right, let's go to Texans and Jaguars. Jaguars minus seven. They will stomp the Texans. They'll win that game handily. I'll take the Jags minus the seven. Chargers at Browns. Browns plus three. The Chargers... Got their act together a little bit offensively, but showed a little bit of vulnerability on defense, particularly late in that game against Houston. The Chargers have been a bit of a schizophrenic team, but I'll take them on the road, and I will lay the three points. I like uh, Justin Herbert and company. Austin Eckler, three scores last week. They're getting him going, and I think Keenan Allen is back for the Chargers as well this week. Dolphins and Jets. This is a good one. Uh, lots of controversy going on with the Dolphins. You're going to see Teddy Bridgewater there. Teddy Bridgewater laying three at Zach Wilson, if you will. I like the Jets. They're playing well. They're playing inspired. they got a lot of good football players on that team, and they're, and they're playing well-coached, disciplined football. The Jets will cover or win. They'll win outright. Take the money line there on the Jets. They'll beat the Dolphins. Steelers and Bills, 14 points. I heard uh, Mike Greenberg saying, wow, the Steelers plus 14. That certainly sounds appetizing. The hell it does. The Bills out win that one, 37-7. Kenny Pickett will engineer one scoring drive. The Bills will dominate. Josh Allen will do Josh Allen-type things, and the Bills will win by 30. 14 is not nearly enough. They'll be covering that at halftime. Saints minus 5.5 against the Seahawks. That should be high scoring. Um, Geno Smith playing great football right now. The Seahawks moving the ball. I think everybody, however, is going to want to bet Seattle the Saints minus five and a half, that seems like too many points. That seems fishy. As a result, I'm taking New Orleans minus the five and a half. Okay, Tennessee uh, at Washington, Tennessee laying two and a half. By all accounts, based on the way they played last week, they've gotten things going. I don't trust Tennessee on the road laying points. However, I don't like Washington. I don't like anything about them. I see no reason to bet them, which is why I'm taking them, plus two and a half. It's kind of like the guy in the commercial. That's dumb but we're going to go with it. All right, Panthers, plus six and a half at the 49ers. The Panthers are a horrendous football team with Baker Mayfield, at quarterback. The Niners have it together. Debo Samuel is the best player on that field, Christian McCaffrey notwithstanding. That being said, six and a half is just a few too many points. San Francisco wins the game, but coming off of a Monday night appearance, looking as good as they did, I'll take the Panthers to cover that spread but I'll take San Francisco to win by three. Really good game Sunday in SoFi Stadium as Cowboys at 3-1 and one against the Rams at 2-2, two and two, coming off of an embarrassing loss. I think Cooper Rush finally turns into Cinderella in this one uh, at the hands of Aaron Donald. He'll be the one holding the glass slipper there. And uh, this will be it for uh, – this will be Cooper Rush's last last brush with greatness. They, they, they hailed him as the MVP in the league for a while this morning based on the fact that he was, he was pulled off the practice squad – to come in in relief of Dak Prescott, and he has been brilliant. There is no two ways about it. And to make a case for him as the MVP at the quarter pole, you can make that case. I mean, what the expectations were of this guy and what he has done for the Cowboys, 
That being said, the Rams are unhappy right now. They are angry. They are going to get after Cooper Rush, and I don't think the Cowboys are going to be able to do anything to stop it. I'll take the Rams uh, minus the four and a half at SoFi on Sunday afternoon. Eagles and Cardinals. This is an, this is going to be a, a bit of a popcorn game because where you just had Kyler Murray going against Baker Mayfield, now you got Kyler Murray going against his predecessor in Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is a legitimate MVP, the way he's playing and the way Philly's playing. That being said, Philly's not going 17-0. and Let's face it. And this might be a little bit of a trap game. Philly laying five at the Cardinals. The Cardinals, and again, there's absolutely no reason to bet them except for Kyler Murray. I'm taking the Cardinals to upset the Eagles and to give the Eagles their first loss of the year. At a minimum, that five points gives you a little bit of safety there. The Sunday night game might be one of the better games of the week, and that's the defending Super Bowl uh, attendees, if you will, the Bengals at the Ravens, both teams two and two. Ravens coming off of a controversial loss, only controversial because people are trying to make arguments for whether or not John Harbaugh made a bad call in going for the touchdown on fourth down against Baltimore, or against Buffalo and giving away that game as a result. Ravens and Bengals, Joe Burrow versus Lamar Jackson. Golly, that's a tough one. I like Lamar, though. I'll take... I'll take Baltimore minus the three to figure things out and play angry and get a win. Chiefs minus seven over the Raiders. They always destroy the Raiders. Although when they play in Kansas City, the Raiders sometimes show up and play well. The Chiefs minus seven, they've been a bit schizophrenic. How do you not take Patrick Mahomes there? I'll take him. They'll win big. And then getting back to tomorrow night, final game of the week that I'm going to pick, and that is the Broncos are going to get it together. They're going to beat the Colts. They're going to cover. Melvin Gordon's going to play a good game. I know I'm putting on those blue and orange colored glasses that Michael Spencer was afraid to put on. I'm going to wear them. Broncos cover, win the game at home. It's because of you guys. It's because of the fans that they carry that team. That's all I got this week. Mike or David will be back tomorrow. AZ has been in for David. Buddy has been in for David. Alex, thank you for doing a great show. And, Stay tuned to Mile High Sports Radio because there's lots more coming up at the top of the hour. Yeah, I love you like a-